Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. A multimillionaire is dealing with the death of his father, and it's under suspicious circumstances. As the man tries to make sense of his world shattering around him, he begins to investigate and inadvertently uncovers an international criminal organization. His mission in life is now clear. Thwart that evil organization by any means necessary. And that means putting together his own team. A team laser-focused on not only taking down this evil organization, but destroying its diabolical leader. Because all of this goes even deeper than the multimillionaire even realizes. Because, as it turns out, that evil leader was the one responsible for the death of his father. I'm Jamie Logie, and this is Everything 80s, a podcast that looks back on a decade that forever changed the way we dress, consumed, and connected. And today, it's a look back on the toy line and cartoon that, despite all the competition, successfully carved out its own niche in one of the most competitive times in the history of toys. This is the story of Mask. To say it was hard to make a dent in the toy industry and network cartoons in the 1980s is a massive understatement. The 80s ushered in an explosion of new pop culture. Within just a few years, our toy shelves and TV channels were swamped with an endless amount of new licensed characters and intellectual properties the likes we had never seen before. We all know the big players. He-Man, G.I. Joe, Rainbow Bright, the Smurfs, the Transformers, the Ninja Turtles, and Gem and the Holograms, just to name a few. These properties successfully combined toys and the cartoon shows used to promote them. Back then, it truly was the Wild West, as restrictions in advertising to children had been lifted. Now, toy companies and networks could directly market to kids without any consequence. The cartoons served as 22-minute commercials to sell a toy line, and the commercials within those cartoons were for the very toys the cartoon show was already promoting. Not to mention that the commercials looked like the cartoons themselves. Young kids who couldn't differentiate between what was an ad and what was a cartoon show were inundated with constant commercialism. It was like a never-ending circle and a perfect formula to sell. Those big cartoons I mentioned continue to be relevant to this day, and we still get TV shows, toys, and movies based on them. But what about the lesser-known brands that may not have reached the heights of the big-time players, but were still a significant part of the decade? Enter the Mobile Armored Strike Command, or MASK. So I ask the question again, with all that competition in the 80s, how do you stand out? 
How do you introduce something new that seems somewhat familiar, but is still unique in its own way? How do you create something that looks at home on the toy shelves next to its competition, but doesn't look like it's just copying everything that's already out there? That was the challenge for Mask. Let's start with the premise of this brand, which like other classic toys is just the simple story of good versus evil. The Transformers was the story of the Autobots versus the Decepticons. She-Ra was the story of Princess Adora versus the evil Horde. And G.I. Joe was simply them combating Cobra. The Mobile Armored Strike Command or Mask existed to thwart Venom, the vicious evil network of mayhem. The two groups are based on technology, specifically vehicle technology. Their machines can shift shapes, if you will, to become an alternative vehicle. For example, a Jeep can turn into a helicopter, or a motorcycle can turn into a boat. You may notice that this feels a bit like G.I. Joe meets Transformers, but the mass premise still differed in its own unique way. This wasn't a robot turning into a vehicle, but a vehicle turning into a different vehicle. It's a perfect example of capturing that it's familiar, but still different brand position. This wasn't more than meets the eye, but the essence of mask is about illusion. An illusion is the ultimate weapon. The characters in the world of mask on both sides also wear physical masks that are super powered. The mask powers are activated by a code word. Example, the head of Venom is named Miles Mayhem, and he wears a mask dubbed Viper, which can spray acid and poison. On the other side, the head of mask is Matt Tracker, and the mask he wears is called Spectrum. Spectrum can absorb energy and then redirect it, and also make him fly. And this all kicks off in that golden year called 1985. Not only one of the most significant years for pop culture in the 1980s, but possibly ever. It's the year that gave us Back to the Future, The Breakfast Club, and The Goonies. The Born in the USA album by Bruce Springsteen spent the entire year in the top 10. The top singles in 1985 include Like a Virgin by Madonna, I Want to Know What Love Is by Foreigner, and Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go by Wham!, in 1985, we saw the TV debuts of MacGyver, Growing Pains, The Golden Girls, and Gem and the Holograms. 1985 also gave us the Nintendo Entertainment System and Super Mario Brothers. 1985 was the birth of the very first WrestleMania, the opening of the first blockbuster video, and the release of the infamous New Coke. This just scratches the surface, but when it comes to all things pop culture, 1985 is pretty hard to beat. In 1985, in the world of kids, the big-time players were also gaining momentum. Transformers, G.I. Joe, Voltron, and He-Man were all less than a few years old and had quickly become a big part of wish lists and after-school viewing everywhere. 
1985, Strawberry Shortcake and Cabbage Patch Kids were still going strong, and the popular Care Bears animated series first debuted, as did the Thundercats. In 1985, Return of the Jedi was barely a few years old, and toy shelves everywhere were still stocked with Star Wars products. 1985 was also the year that Hasbro first released the Dinobots. Basically, this was an extremely tough time to introduce yet another new toy line. But speaking of Star Wars, those toys were made by toy company Kenner. Return of the Jedi looked like the end of the line for Star Wars and any new characters or vehicles. Kenner needed something to keep things moving forward in a post-Return of the Jedi world. And despite all the competition from toy companies with an animated series dominating our TV screens, Kenner didn't seem to be afraid and decided to release a brand new line of toys called Mask. The usual suspects were released for the Mask toy line. Vehicles, play sets, action figures, and accessories. But here's the big thing that made them stand out. The action figures weren't the regular three and three quarter inches we were used to. Mask figures were quite small. This approach was for a few reasons. First, it allowed for regular sized vehicles that didn't have to be huge to accommodate the larger size action figure. And it didn't make Mask look like just another G.I. Joe. If you want some more on why action figures of the 1980s were the size they were, and G.I. Joe in general, I have a previous episode all about the real American hero. But regarding that smaller form factor size of the action figures, this also ensured that consumers knew that the vehicles were the star of the show here. Tracker here, assemble mass. Venom has struck again. Try and stop me, Tracker. Convert outlaw. Vehicles each sold separately with two figures. Batteries not included. Okay, Volcano, do your stuff. Fire! Mask. Wow. Where illusion is the ultimate weapon. Mask, Volcano, and Outlaw, each sold separately, new from Kenner. The mask vehicles were plastic, but of a higher build quality than a lot of other toys out there. They were also customizable and came with user-applied stickers, paint, and rubber tires. The vehicles looked great, and some were even licensed replicas of real-life brands. Some of the vehicles had spring-loaded features that revealed the action figure riding inside, along with armor and other weapons. The vehicles were designed to look ordinary, but this is the essence of Mask, the illusion. Kenner took the usual smart approach of releasing a wide range of vehicles at various price points. This ranged from the smaller, lower-cost motorcycles to the much more expensive playsets. According to MassForce.com, some of these lower-priced vehicles were in the $599 range, while the bigger playsets could go up to only $40 or so. In today's money, that's about $115 for a playset and around $17 for the cheaper vehicles. Not too bad, all things considered. The lower-priced items were always the smart move, because even if a kid left the toy store with the cheapest option, 
at least they were still leaving with something. Another interesting move to set Mask apart from Hasbro and G.I. Joe came near the end of the first toy release and into the second one. Mask figures came two in a package, with the two different masks included. Whether you're a kid with your saved-up allowance or a family member buying a present for a younger relative, two is always better than one. The packaging for mass products was also interesting. With a toy like Transformers, say, you could clearly see the toy revealed through the clear portion of the packaging. For the mass vehicles, Kenner released windowless packages. There were images of the toy on the box, but by not being able to physically see the toy, did this make kids want it even more? It was an interesting approach. Mass vehicles also came with things like mini comic books, calendars, and in another smart marketing move, very colorful product catalogs. Those mini comics were actually quite important to the mask mythology. In them, we learn that the origin of all of this didn't begin with mask or venom, but one single scientific organization trying to create a better world for all of us. In the origin story, we also meet Miles Mayhem and the Tracker Brothers who developed the vehicle technology and the superpowered mask together. The creation of their tech and innovations was supposed to be done anonymously for the betterment of the world. But that wasn't enough for Miles Mayhem, who wanted his own power. He torched the facility and took off with half of the technology. The burning down of the facility resulted in the death of one of the Tracker brothers, leaving just Matt on his own. But I guess with a name like Miles Mayhem, we should have seen this coming. The mass toy line was great. They were unique enough to stand out, but still appeared engaging for kids. They slotted in nicely alongside transforming robots and military figures, but still seemed like their own unique product. But hey, this is the 1980s, and if you really want to increase your reach to children, you have to get into their living rooms. It was time for a mask cartoon show. Everything 80s will return after these messages. The Mask Animated series was brought to us by Deke Entertainment, the company that brought us other big shows like Inspector Gadget, Kid Video, Care Bears, The Real Ghostbusters, The Adventures of Teddy Ruxpin, Rainbow Bright, and Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling, among many other shows. And like pretty much all other cartoons in the 80s, the Mask animated series functioned to service and promote the toy line. The premise of the cartoon series goes as follows. Matt Tracker leads a special team of mass crime fighters with a fleet of hidden function vehicles against Miles Mayhem and his criminal organization known as Venom. The quite catchy intro called Illusion is the Ultimate Weapon 
was written by Shuki Levy and Haim Saban. Levy also created notable theme songs for shows like Inspector Gadget, E-Man and the Masters of the Universe, She-Ra, and The Real Ghostbusters. Mass debuted in the fall of 1985, and that first season had 65 episodes. The second season, just 10. Hold on, why in the world were there so many in that first season? Well, if you know your TV logistics, at around the 65-episode mark, you can syndicate a children's TV series. That means Mass could be seen all over and quite consistently. The whole point of that giant first season was also to introduce the story and then all the vehicles and characters to subsequently be released on toy shelves. Remember, most cartoon shows at this point were just animated commercials to introduce the brand's vehicles and characters. Mask continued on that, but through the animated series, also introduced the physical masks worn by the characters. But the series still had to follow somewhat of a narrative framework, and those first 65 episodes included a lot of battles between Mask and Venom and the introduction of new technologies. The first season also expanded on the mythology introduced in the three-issue mini-comic series. Most of the shows are based around Venom trying something evil only to be thwarted by Mask. In episode 10 from October 11, 1985, Venom creates a giant tractor beam to try and steer a meteor towards Earth trying to hit a major city. The show, though, was quite global and seemed to introduce younger viewers to various cities and countries around the world. The show visits big American cities including Las Vegas, Los Angeles, and New Orleans, but other episodes take place in Alaska, Hong Kong, Africa, Australia, Ireland, Iceland, England, and Egypt. I don't know if I would call Mask educational by any means, but an episode like The Incident in Istanbul takes Venom to Istanbul, where they attempt to steal Constantine's chess set, which contains the secret to finding the Roman Emperor's golden crown. Mask at least attempted to expose younger viewers to some history and other countries and cultures. But for the second season, the battles and fighting and traveling took a backseat to racing. That's right, the 10 episodes of season 2 were about auto racing and Venom always playing dirty, trying to win the big race. If you grew up with Mask, you may remember the Mask feature-length movie released on VHS called Mask the Movie. This was just four of those season 2 racing episodes edited together to create a movie. This was followed by the editing together of four more of those season two episodes to make a sequel. With the toy line already out, the cartoon series continued to drive interest towards it, along with the release of a whole new line of merchandise associated with the brand. Coloring books, viewfinders, Panini sticker albums, birthday party supplies, all the usual things were there, including some more comic books. 
The three-issue comic miniseries included in the original toy line introduced us to the mask mythology. But in late 1985, DC Comics expanded on this with a four-issue limited series released in December of that year. After that first series finished in March of 1986, a nine-issue regular series began in 1987. If you grew up in the UK during this time, you may remember some of those hardcover annuals similar to the Beano and Dandy ones released each year. There was even a mask magazine produced by Fleetway. It debuted in October 1986 and ran for an impressive 80 issues. These magazines are something I'm very familiar with. We were living in England at this time and I remember my grandpa bringing me back a copy of Mask Magazine. Each week, he would always go to the newsagent to get me a copy of Beano and my sister a copy of Bunty. When he saw Mask Magazine, he thought that I would like it. He was right. But besides the UK, there were also some Mask comics produced in Germany and Norway. Even though the animated series lasted for just two seasons, it helped drive four waves of the toy line. The racing emphasis of the second series of the cartoon helped to promote the more racing-based vehicles like the Venom Buzzard, Iguana, and Manta, alongside Mask's Bullet, Meteor, and Razorback car. There was also the Mask Bulldog, a semi-trailer truck that looked suspiciously like a blue version of a certain heroic Autobot. In late 1987, Kenner released The Split Seconds, which was again based more on racing vehicles. But to keep their maskness, the nine new vehicles could split into two and transform into two different vehicles. One would be driven by an agent, the other by a computer image of that agent. At this point, the brand had seemed to split from its origins, and the fourth series of the vehicles began to look as much like Hot Wheels or Matchbox cars. According to MassForce.com, this may have been a sign of the end of the line, as none of these vehicles were even featured in the cartoon series. This departure may have led to the untimely end of Mask. The animated series finished up quite a bit earlier with the last episode released in November 1986. By 1988, that was the end of the mass toy line. A few years later, Kenner would be swallowed up and bought by one of their prime adversaries in the 1980s toy wars, Hasbro. Years later, now under the Hasbro brand, Kenner released a toy line called Vortec that looked quite a lot like the mass toys we knew in the 80s. Was Vortec just old designs and molds of mass vehicles that never got produced? Earlier in the episode, I mentioned how some of the big toy franchises of the 1980s, G.I. Joe, Transformers, Gem and the Holograms, and the Ninja Turtles, continue to drive a lot of our modern entertainment. Over the last decade or so, we've got big screen versions of all of those franchises. Multiple versions, actually. Since 1980s content is a huge part of our modern entertainment, 
It's kind of surprising we haven't seen some sort of mask movie or series. The premise of it lends itself well to a modern iteration. Mask was never as big as the Transformers, but there is still some brand recognition in the mask name. There's clearly power in nostalgia, especially when it comes to entertainment. And in 2018, there was talk about Paramount creating a live-action mass movie directed by F. Gary Gray, the director of Fate of the Furious and Straight Out of Compton. But as of the time of this recording, we haven't heard much more about this. Mass still appeals to an entire generation that grew up with it. But is there any interest outside of that? And with younger generations who have probably never heard of Mask and definitely didn't grow up watching it. The story of Mask is a good example of what the commercial landscape in the 1980s looked like, especially in the kids market. Back then, you had to get in and get out and hopefully make a splash. They can't all be Transformers or G.I. Joe, but to make a dent in the marketplace at this point in history and with all the competition is still pretty impressive. Mask's run was barely three years, but it carved out its own little corner of 1980s kids' pop culture. For toy companies, this seemed like a time when you barely had a moment to think and it seemed as if these companies had to throw everything to the wall to see what might stick. Toy companies didn't necessarily have the luxury of years and years of market research to see what resonated specifically with kids. During this wild west of new kids brands and products, you had to strike while the iron was hot and hopefully make some sort of impact. Mask was able to accomplish this. It's the story of Kenner thinking outside the box, but not straying too far from that box. The toys and commercials featured familiar elements and stories we were already familiar with, but packaged and presented in a unique new way. It was an impressive idea that was able to slightly capitalize on some existing toy lines, but still went in its own direction and managed to stand out. The Mobile Armored Strike Command, or Mask, is a unique toy and franchise from a unique time in history. Even though it didn't last super long, Mask made its mark and is definitely an important part of the 1980s. So that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. And if you're looking for further listening, here are some previous episodes of mine that are connected or mentioned during this episode. I not only have an episode about the history of G.I. Joe, but also one about the Transformers and one about Gem and the Holograms. I have a previous episode that looks back on the year 1985, an episode about the history of Nintendo, one on the story of the first WrestleMania, and even an episode about the story of the infamous new Coke. But that's just a sampling, as there are a ton of other episodes for you to dive into. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Everything 80s podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss out on new episodes. If you're looking for bonus 1980s audio content, you can check out patreon.com. That's the platform to help support this show 
but also get access to things like the Everything 80s Movie Review Podcast, where I review the good, the bad, and the ugly of 1980s movies. If you want to learn more, you can just head on over to patreon.com slash 80s. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash 80S. So that's it for me. Thank you again so much for listening. I'm Jamie. This has been Everything 80s, but I'll be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it. Bye.